And we are live. Hello, hello. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, Vicky. Hello. Nice On to be here. Glorious Valentine's Day. It is beautiful out there. It feels like spring. It's spring here. Spring has almost sprung, but I, I kind of, you know, there was some Daily Express thing that popped up on my Facebook, which I never click because it's always clickbait, and I get really excited. About it I'm like, oh, it's gonna snow, it's gonna snow. No, don't, don't click it, don't click it. They say it every year, um, but I did see a headline, and I was like, oh, is it? Is it not? I don't know. The daffodils are out. The snowdrops are out. Oh. It's just it's lovely. It's a beautiful Valentine's Day, isn't it? Because normally it's a bit dingy at this time of year. Yeah. And I have to say thank you for your Galentine's card. That was You're welcome. Thank you You're very welcome. much. I find Galentine's is far more up my street than Valentine's. Galentine's, oh. if you haven't watched Parks and Recreation, I recommend you do because it is just oh. one of the best series ever. But Leslie Nopin, it celebrates Galentine's Day, which is the love of your friends, the love of your female buddies. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful sentiment of celebrating is your female friends it is it's really nice because it's sort of like you don't really get I mean I know there's an international friendship day but it's not really a thing is it so no that's that's nice so yes your card did brighten up my day oh I'm glad thank you um so yes welcome everybody you have tuned in to me and Vicky talking about the weather (laughs) 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 and Valentine's Day um but here it's about we are. to get dark now. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, it's gonna change. Um, but here we are today on another episode of Quick Brew. Now, Quick Brew is the little sister of Strong Tea. Strong Tea is a podcast that was born out of a love of talking about things which are difficult to talk about, things that matter, um, and things that can be sometimes quite controversial. And I am so excited for today's mm. episode. So I'm not gonna tell you what it is yet, because Vicky's gonna do that. But Quick Brew is a little, little version of Strong Tea, and it's just Vicky and I chewing the fat and having a good old debate. So I'm <laughs> excited. So a tradition of the show, if you haven't listened to it before, is finding out what we're drinking, because we are called Strong Tea. Not everyone drinks tea, but that's okay. So Vicky, what are you drinking? So today I'm drinking Bird and Blends Assam House Blend. Um, it's got Indian Assam black tea, Sri Lankan black tea, Kenyan black tea, and natural bergamot. And I'll tell you what, it is one of the nicest, most rounded tasting teas I've had. Is it a black tea? Yes. Okay. Is it one of the ones that I gave you in the packet? Yes. <laughs> oh, so I've got one then. I can try yes. that. Oh, how exciting! Yeah, it's really nice. It's it's strong. It's a it's a tea tea. Oh, a real real working, it's a real working tea. ladies tea. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. I'm surprised my teeth haven't gone black. It's that kind of yeah. You, you know when you've had this tea. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. Well, sounds good. I'm gonna I'm gonna give that a go. If I've got one in the cupboard, I will try it. Do you know what I did try last night? Not what I'm drinking now, but I tried Bird and Blends uh, Peppy Mint, and that is one of the Ooh. best mint teas that I've tried. And I've tried a lot because I have IBS and I really struggle with bloating and uncomfortable tummies and like food digestion and stuff. And that was amazing really nice tea tea. so i'll give that a try peppy mint yeah what are you drinking now i have gone and i'll tell you why i've gone for a classic yorkshire tea nice and it has hang on hang on not gold it's not gold because i've run out of gold however i'm going away this weekend to self-catering cottage and i've ordered a box of um yorkshire gold which i'll bring home with me so that i will have you see so but aren't you slumming it this is oh, no, no. But I, how can you just say your Yorkshire tea is slumming it? <laughs> dare you? Um, it's been brewed for a good long time, and I tell you, what, I'm drinking this and not a herbal one because my mother-in-law came over to look after Freddie, and she brought a big slab of ginger cake, which I have. Well just done, Mags. Off. Well done. Oh yes, well played, Mags. And she, she is always like really cautious about. Shall I bring you some cake? Because I'm always like, don't bring me cake, Mags. I shouldn't be eating cake. And because Freddie was up so early this morning, she was like, do you think you need cake? I was like, I think I might. I think it's a cake day. So. What a legend. Well um, done, Mags. Yeah, good work, Mags. So, yeah, without further ado, talking about tea and cake, why don't you dive into today's very, very controversial topic? And this is controversial because I think this one we talked about doing and was kind of, yeah, shall we? Oh, no, maybe not. Or shall we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's just do it. So today we're talking about euthanasia and assisted dying um 
So just putting it out there right now, we are going to be talking about uh, death and dying. Just a trigger warning for anything around um, terminal illness and uh, dying. Some listeners might find this offensive. Um, what I will say is that along with our strong tears and quick brews, this is a learning process. So we do all the research and we learn as we go. We are by no means experts. Mm-mm. So if we do cause offense in any way, we apologize. However, we are learning. And this is what the ethos of what myself and Katie have put together. This is what it's all about is learning and spreading our learning. I'm just going to dive in there as well and say mm-hmm. for a trigger warning about potential uh, discussion about suicide, because that does yes. some of my conversations as well. Yeah. Okay, so assisted dying has two main elements. You've got euthanasia and assisted suicide. So the main difference between euthanasia and assisted suicide is who actually performs or administers the process to end the person's life. Yeah, okay. So euthanasia is sometimes alternatively referred to as a mercy killing. It's often been branded like that if you watch tv programs or you know dramatizations they often call it a mercy killing and it's an active approach to end someone's life to stop them from suffering and the final deed as it were is undertaken by someone other than the individual so for example a doctor so if the person concerned has requested euthanasia um, it falls under the term voluntary euthanasia I'll talk about involuntary euthanasia in a little bit. Now, assisted suicide is about helping the person to take their own life at their own request. In other words, the final deed is undertaken by the person themselves. So assisted dying can be used to mean both euthanasia, generally voluntary and assisted suicide. Okay, Um, But there are some campaign groups who use assisted dying term to refer to um, assisted suicide of terminally ill people. Again, we'll talk about that a little later on. Mm -hmm. But for those who want a greater understanding of what both these entail and exactly what the differences are, euthanasia is performed by an attending physician or doctor who administers a fatal dose of a suitable drug to the patient on their request, whereas a physician assisted suicide is where the physician or doctor supplies the drug but the patient administers it right so that's quite a but that's an example of the difference between euthanasia and assisted assisted suicide now euthanasia can either be passive um and what that means is that the medic there are medical efforts to prolong the patient's life are terminated and the disease is allowed to take its course now active euthanasia is in um, where the physician triggers the death uh, by prescribing or administering a lethal dose of that medication. Um, So additionally, most euthanasia is voluntary. When we say involuntary, that's where people are in comas, are considered brain dead or um, unresponsive, and the family decide to end that person's life. So that's involuntary because that individual hasn't volunteered themselves. Okay, I'm being really clear with kind of where we are and what the definitions are. So not active euthanasia. So that's the passive. The physician tries to relieve a patient's distress by administering um, increasingly strong medication with the aim of alleviating the suffering, but that as a side effect may shorten the patient's life. Right. Or the physician physician administers drugs to render the patient unconscious at the end of life with the aim of alleviating symptoms. So you can see where in this country there is actually a kind of passive euthanasia type approach to things, borderline, where, you know, people will say, you know, we can prolong the cancer, we can prolong the terminal illness, um, by giving you drugs and things like that, or we can just take it away. So you see that there's kind of, there's a kind yeah. of a thin line with passive um, euthanasia. However, both euthanasia and assisted suicide are illegal under English law. Yeah, um, assisted suicide is illegal um, under the terms of the Suicide Act, and is punishable by up to fourteen years imprisonment. 
suicide itself, trying to kill yourself is not a criminal act, by the way. Euthanasia, uh, depending on the circumstance, euthanasia is regarded as either manslaughter or murder. And the maximum penalty for that in this country is, is life imprisonment. But countries where active euthanasia is legal is Australia, Colombia, New Zealand, Belgium, Luxembourg, Spain, Canada, and the Netherlands. Now, before everyone shouts about Switzerland, Switzerland is actually not on the list of, they have not legalized active euthanasia, but they have legalized assisted suicide. So that's the difference. There is a yeah. stark difference. Um, the laws vary between these countries, um, but basically the requirements for assisted um, dying includes an advanced stage of disease um, that's expected to cause death within six months or within 12 months uh, for neurodegenerative diseases like motor neurone disease, um, and it's causing the person unacceptable suffering. A terminal illness or non-terminal but grievous and incurable conditions and this can include mental illness as well. Um, and the individual must be able to make a decision about voluntary assisted dying and communicate it to their doctor. Um, but there are strict reviews, legislation, and there's a mouthful, legislation and checks. Um, but a little bit about the countries and how they operate. So in the Netherlands, both euthanasia and assisted suicide are legal if the patient is enduring unbearable suffering and there's just no prospect of improvement. Anyone from the age of 12 can request this, but parental consent is required if a child is under 16. Now, there are a number of checks and balances, including, you know, the doctor's got to be in consultation and then there's got to be an independent doctor on whether the patient meets the necessary criteria and so on. Um, so, yeah, that was that was a bit surprising for me with the Netherlands, but Belgium, Luxembourg, Canada and Colombia, they both allow euthanasia and assisted suicide. Um, but there are differences. So, for example, terminal patients can request it in Colombia, but in Belgium, there's actually no age restrictions for children, um, although they they have to have a, a terminal illness. Um, so, yeah, that's that's basically it in a nutshell. There are some assisted suicide. Um, I was going to say states along with Switzerland, there are a number of U.S. states that allow assisted suicide. And these include California, Colorado, Hawaii, New Jersey, Oregon, Washington State, Vermont, and Vermont, sorry, and the District of Columbia. So whereas the whole country as a whole doesn't legalize it, there are states that do. So there we go. It's crazy really, isn't it? And I think what we want to get into the bones of today is I think I've got a lot of statistics and I've got a lot of questions and things to throw up so tell me how you feel about it okay so before I did the research for this episode I was 100% for assisted dying okay um on both sides euthanasia and assisted suicide because I didn't even know the difference and the different countries have the different laws you know one accepts one one accepts both um i was 100% for it after doing my research i am now 98% okay what's changed your mind the arguments against one of which was very very compelling and I didn't know if you wanted to go into the four and against now but no i yeah, just wanted to know was... what your personal views were on it my so personal you... views before this episode were very much, I agree with it, you know, um, I've seen programs, I've had um, personal kind of experience of seeing someone go through um, terminal illness and in a lot of pain and discomfort. So I think it's down to the individuals um, making sure that they, they know what they're doing, but it's up to the individual's decision if they are living in absolutely unbearable conditions circumstance in pain that is just not going to change then they have a right to choose however there was like I said one compelling argument that just nipped two percent off my yes I'm all for it okay oh well I'm intrigued to hear that do you want to dive into the fours and against yeah 
Okay. Well, I've I've got some statistics there, so I want to just throw oh, hang on, hang on. Are you four? Are you four? I'm, I'm absolutely four. Yeah. Okay. Even even after doing, I, I'm four, but I think it needs to be heavily heavily regulated, and mm. there needs to be there's too many grey areas. So it has to be, and it's such a broad topic because you know you think right, well, terminal. Some people are given ten years but it's still terminal. Some people are told terminal and they don't know what that, how long that could mean. For yeah. example, Katie, who was here with us, you yeah. know, talking about her journey. She doesn't know how long she's got, but they've told her it's terminal and it's fighting fires. Um, You've got people that are told they've got a couple of months. You've yeah. got people that might not have a terminal illness, but it might still be very, degenerative yeah harmful so then you've got to think well can it is it only terminal people that can do it you know there's a question there you've got to look at well like the question you raised beforehand is it only physical illness or is it mental illness as well because we know a lot of people are tormented by severe mental illnesses you know Mm -hmm. there's a lot of gray areas which it's too difficult to just say yes, this needs to be passed and this needs to be law because it's so broad. But the current bill, and I, I did some research on this, so the current bill that's going through the uh, the parliament at the moment, so it's a bill to enable adults who are terminally ill to be provided at their request with spe- specified assistance to end their own life. Now, this went into the House of Lords in May 2021. It's mm-hmm. currently only on its second reading, which is before committee stage. So in the House of Lords, it has to go through five stages. It then has to go to the Houses of Parliament. And at that stage, oh, sorry, the House of Commons. And there are five stages there. And only then when it's passed through all of those 10 stages, does it go on to royal assent to get approved by the king. Right. Sounds, sounds weird saying that, by the king. Mm-hmm. Um, But that's... You know, that's a, that's a, it feels like a long way off, but that actual current bill is not looking at allowing a doctor to administer a huge dose of drugs to allow a patient to just slip away peacefully like they do in the Netherlands, which I think a lot of people have that when they talk about euthanasia. Mm. Dignitas comes to mind because that was really the big organisation that sort of did it first and everyone knew about it. And that whole concept of you're terminally ill, you're in a lot of pain, they make you as comfortable as they can and they give you a huge dose of morphine or drugs and you just slip away and fall asleep. I mean, that's probably everyone's best scenario for death, isn't it? Mm -hmm. But that's what this current bill is not looking to do. It's actually looking to take mentally competent patients with less than six months left to to live um, and prescribing them a cocktail of drugs that they take themselves so again it's not it's not administered by a doctor and there have been huge issues with this over in america um because it's caused a lot of issues with seizures and regurgitations from people taking them and one man in 2017 actually took eight hours to die and you've got to argue at that point how is that more human than actually allowing someone you know the the assist the assistance that they require to Mm. actually go by someone who's competent to be Mm. able to deliver that and actually make sure it works this neatly oh segue segue yeah yeah this neatly (laughs) goes into the main reason why my two percent came came off being all four what you're saying there is almost like the government are cutting corners. Yeah, they're finding alternative ways of doing something, mainly because of the money, probably. Um, And definitely not because of, as you said, that dignity in dying. There are better, smoother, kinder, more pain-free ways of doing Mm -hmm. it, right? Mm -hmm. If euthanasia is legalised, there may be a massive apprehension or refusal to invest in health, working towards um, kind of better palliative care 
and better experiments to try and help terminally ill people. Do you think? So surely the end goal is always to try and find a cure. So legalised euthanasia led to a severe decline in the quality of care for terminal patients in Holland. So there would be a concern that I I don't know how much it costs. I don't know if you had the stats for how much um, assisted dying costs, but there would be a fear that actually if that, that could save money as opposed to investing heavily into palliative care, which I, you know, more needs to be done with palliative care and end of life care in this country. It, it does. Um, so would there be a risk that that money would get taken away and just be put into this assisted dying I, I area? See, I see what you mean, but I suppose this is the government and, you know, you've got people all over the world working for you know, huge pharmaceutical companies who are, because they know if they can find cures or support for terminal illness, you know, if someone found a cure for cancer, my God, that would, you know, be the most lucrative uh, business proposition that there is to have something that can cure cancer. So I think the target of pharmaceutical companies is always to keep moving forward to try and find a drug, try and find a cure, try and find, you know, the support for that palliative care. Because also if someone's on palliative care and they need drugs to keep them alive, that's ongoing money to the pharmaceutical mm-hmm. companies. I'm not saying this is right, by the way, but but the government if they're putting money towards assisted suicide, I think, you know, where you talked about that cutting corners, surely looking at something which leaves no room for error, i.e. administered by a doctor in a special clinic, um, you know, there's been all the legalities covered, you're there with professionals, you've done, you know, and they administer something which has an extremely small margin for error, where there's no issue of that person potentially overdosing and then needing an ambulance and hospital care and because they tried to do it in their own home and then prosecuted because someone tried to help you know it it's it's all um it all feels like it's the wrong they're trying to sort of almost sort of sit on the fence with it a bit they're like oh Mm. well if we give you the drugs and you do it then our, our hands are clean yeah and that doesn't really feel right to me mm-hmm. i've got some i got some statistics um from the dignity in dying website mm-hmm. and a lot of these are estimates because you know they have to this is based on information they have collected but around about between 400 and 650 uk citizens take their own lives every year and they're terminally terminally ill people that take their own lives every year yeah And if you read the website, it is truly upsetting and truly harrowing at the things that these people go through because they have no form of support. They don't want to ask someone to help them because they know they will get, you know, in trouble. Mm -hmm. And it's not just people taking overdoses. It's all forms of suicide. And actually reading the testimonies on the website was really quite harrowing and you think about you are in a place where you are so ill that you don't want to live anymore that you would consider doing that that's how bad it is yeah you know and it feels like you know there's like a moral you know a moral judgment to be made here are we right to be taking lives but and I'll go on to opinions later but um our very good friend of the show Katie made the comment that she said you know people should be given the right to choose and as it stands at the moment currently if you're in a coma and or on life support a medical professional can actually make the decision to switch that off so why should it be any different and the conversation that kept coming up again and again and again was if an animal 
dog was predominantly the one that came up if a dog was had a severe terminal illness and was in pain and couldn't eat anymore and couldn't walk Mm. anymore and couldn't go outside to the toilet anymore you wouldn't keep putting them through it so why are we doing that with humans Mm. you know and that's that's the the real crux of it I think and this is where the thin line was because the whole passive euthanasia I believe those discussions happen you know do you want to carry on with the treatment it's just going to prolong or do you want to just let the terminal illness take it and I think those discussions do happen you know there's obviously a duty of care to provide the medication and the drugs and all this and that but I think there is that kind of you know duty of care to how the patient or the person who is terminally ill is going to cope and also how their family's going to cope because euthanasia and assisted dying doesn't just affect the individual mm. it's everyone around yeah. and there was that case quite recently with um the husband who took his wife over to switzerland um for assisted dying and she she took her own life he came back i think he was arrested but then not charged yeah and it's it's difficult because i think the law hasn't really been written in how to deal with these cases particularly as it she had yeah given him her consent yeah and everything was written written down but it's it's interesting and particularly when you see the countries and the numbers so the country with the highest number of people who have died by assisted suicide or euthanasia in 2021 has have a guess um is it an obvious one no Spain no Canada okay 10,064 individuals in 2021 um died by assisted dying um the next one is the Netherlands 7,666 in 2021 um followed by Belgium and then the United States but what's interesting is the massive leap in numbers. So Canada in 2018 had 4,480 individuals who died by assisted suicide or euthanasia. And, you know, three years later, that jumped up over, you know, 6,000 to 10,064. So that's a big leap. Mm. Does it give any... And I would be interested... So go on. I was going to say, does that give any indication as to why the leap no. is so big? No, I'd be interested to know in mm. terms of investment in healthcare. You know, most of the, in all the stats that I saw, most of the people, as you said, are, you know, cancer um, sufferers, yeah. uh, terminal cancer, um, who go through with assisted dying or choose assisted dying. Um, so, yeah. I, the the other statistics so that that talking about the the uk citizens that took their own life the 400 650 it's estimated that between 3500 and 6500 attempt to take their own lives because of terminal that's, illness now that's, that's a huge, huge number yeah, that's massive. And, you know you talk about the money going in and i guess the impact and i mean at the moment palliative palliative care i mean it's it's the same unfortunately with all these types of things some places in the country are amazing some are just shoddy and i think it's as it is at the moment i don't think it matters to a certain extent for some of these people because they're they're not thinking how can i be looked after it's you know, and I had, we, Neil and I had a really frank discussion about this. And it was sort of like, you know, if you were going to lose your all your faculty, faculties, your ability to do anything, would you, and Neil's very like quite gung-ho about it. And he's just like, ship me off to Dignitas. I'm not fussed. I'm, I don't want to be like that, you know? And he, he's very clear on that. Um, I think there are a lot, of gray areas um and i think i i really support a right 
for choice, a right to choose. Because, you know, we've just seen all over America last year with um, the Senate uh, looking at abortion rights and abortion Mm -hmm. laws. And some states have said, we don't care what the law is. We still support the right for a woman to choose. Others are like, no, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. As far as I'm concerned, it should not be down to anyone else, regardless of whether we're talking about abortion or terminal illness or your right to die. It shouldn't be down to anyone else to make that decision. And there are so many people choosing, like 50 Brits a year travel to uh, Switzerland every year on average to take their own lives. Uh, How many? 50, 50 a year, which is not That's a huge lot. amount. I, do you think yeah, I was going to say that was a lot? It doesn't seem like a lot to me when you th- when you see the numbers of people taking their own lives, and I don't know why more don't travel and choose to go down that suicide route if it's the money that's involved in it. I don't know what something like that would even cost, and there's obviously there's nothing on the website. It's not like it costs you this much for an assisted suicide. You know, it's obviously you have to apply and and you need all your medical proof and things like that. Um, I don't know. It seems, it, it does say, it's estimated that around 6,400 people a year will suffer in pain in the last three months of their life, even with access to the best possible palliative care. And so it doesn't seem to tie in when you say about, will the money be taken away from palliative care? I think people are past the point of even thinking about that. I think people just want the choice to be able to say, I don't even want to get to that choice. I don't want to get to that point where I have to be taken care of and I have to be washed because I can't move anymore. And I have to be, I have to have someone clean me and I can't speak and I can't I have to be fed through a tube. I don't want to get to that point. I want to be me. I know I'm going to die. I want to do it on my terms. And my mother-in-law said something that she'd read. It was a Scottish author, and I wish to God I'd written it down now. Um, but good life, good death, good grief. And I think there's a there's a lot to be said for that because mm. you talk about the people that are around you. If you see someone you love deteriorating and going through pain and getting to the point where they cannot do anything for themselves that is extremely harrowing and that's probably going to stay with you long after they're gone. Therefore supporting their right to choose and seeing them go peacefully, Mm. painful as it would be, I think it's a lot easier to, to, to grieve for someone rather than thinking, Oh my God, it was just horrendous. Mm. You know, and I've heard a lot of people say that, you know, I watch someone die. I watch this person die. I watch And you just think, awful imagine seeing the people that you love go through that but do you think that would be additional pressure for someone to feel they had to make that decision well this was one of the arguments against is that those who are disabled those who are terminally ill if this becomes a real option is there then the pressure of oh god am i going to be a burden to society to my family are they going to suffer i'm going to have to decide whether to do this or not so do you think there would be mounted pressure? I I had this, again, I had this conversation with Neil because I spoke to someone yesterday and said, what are your thoughts? And they, it was one of the few people that I've spoken to said, no, I don't agree with it because I think vulnerable people would feel pressure to do it. And I hadn't really thought about that because I was just like, I don't think I would. And I then I got to thinking, is it a generational thing? Um do the older generation now look at themselves as being a burden not all of them obviously Mm -hmm. um but you know we're coming through with a new generation of thinkers a new generation of people being you know and taking things into their maybe into their own hands rather than you know actually making the decision and saying you know what I don't want to be a burden on my family I don't want that I don't want them to see me go through mm. pain I'm going to do this rather than it being oh I've got to do this because I'm a burden and you know I feel bad mm. I don't know um and Neil said well he said look at it if you know if Freddie couldn't go to university because he had to stay and look after you because you were terminally ill and I thought 
oh my god yeah because now you're putting it into relative terms mm-hmm. that I can understand yeah. and I'm thinking yeah that would be awful so yeah what do you do <laughs> and think about the doctors okay so putting it out there I'll come back to that so the Royal okay. College of Physicians <laughs> um they did a poll of 7,000 UK hospital doctors and 43.4% opposed allowing assisted dying. How many? 43.4% and 31.6% supported it. So it's still kind of weighing in the opposing side, but it's getting neutral. But they they did say, I read a lot of things that said they've gone from being heavily opposed to being much more neutral on sitting on the face sort of thing. Yeah, it's becoming more neutral, but there's still a bit more of opposing. If an individual who is vulnerable, like we said, and this is hypothetical, an individual who has no family, has no money, um, is terminally ill, would require lots and lots of chemotherapy, but puts in for um, or has the option of assisted dying. And you have a doctor who is somewhat biased. You are allowing that doctor or physician or whatever a power to make a decision to either accept that this person wants to die and allowing that to happen or spending the money on chemotherapy, which could prolong beyond the 12 months, but still be terminal. Yeah, but has that person made that decision that they want to die? If the person has made that decision, that doctor then has a choice. And this is where you've got a human Why? element of bias coming into it. Why does the doctor? This is hypothetical. I know. It's hypothetical. I know, but why does the doctor have a choice? Because because ultimately they've got to sign it off. Yes, but that person, and they have to be. I, you know, the the grey area that sits is when is mental capacity, uh, you know, if someone might not be in their full faculty, someone has to be able to consciously make that decision. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're in their free. full mind. Yeah, yeah, they're in their full mind. They've just got terminal illness, but they, the doctor has a human element to him and bias because this person has no job, no family, could be considered a drain if they are constantly on chemotherapy, you know, because chemotherapy is not cheap. Mm-hmm. If anyone has, had, it, it's not cheap. Um, luckily, we've got the NHS. But then you've got a doctor in the middle who is potentially biased in who they choose to sign off. Because what makes one life, and I'm not saying that there's a quota, and I know there are there are rules and legislation and law, but ultimately there is a decision from a doctor, individual doctors who are all humans, who have all got unconscious biases who all have views and feelings and experience making these decisions but that's why it shouldn't be down to just one physician because I think if someone says they want to die it's not like you just nip into the GP and say oh yeah by the way I'm ready to die now and that person says okay I'm signing that off here you go you know it needs to be that person should probably have to have some form of you know um psychological uh assessment done just to make sure they are in their you know in their right mind in their mental capacities maybe some sort of social assessment to see what sort of support they have are they doing it because they don't have the support and could there be something put in place and then three physicians to like almost like a panel and if at the end of that and they've and they've been given this is why i think it needs to be very regulated and almost like a structure that filters down when someone says you know i'm at that point that's this is what i need to do or this is what i want to do then it filters down through that those channels and if it comes out the other side and the doctors have said right look these are your options you know like your your patient patient a you know, we have got chemo for you. Um, you've got no family, but what we can do is provide you with um, a nurse that comes to see you two times a day to give you that extra support. We can do this for you, can we do that for you? 
you know, would you like to try that for, you know, a month or two and see how that works for you? See if, you know, brings you into a better place. If after giving all of those options, that person still says they want to die, there should be no choice from the doctor. It's been assessed. Their case has been assessed by a panel. They've been psychologically assessed, socially assessed. Everything's been done to make sure that person is making a clear and sound judgment about their own life. I admire your ideal but there would always be an issue of how to properly regulate this. I give you an example. Okay, where is he? Where is he? Scrolling down. Ian Nichols had a history of depression and other medical issues, but none were life-threatening. When the 61-year-old Canadian was hospitalised in June 2019 over fears he might be suicidal, he asked his brother to bust him out as soon as possible. Is Within that, a month... Is that... Is that- help him to die help him get out yeah help him get out of the hospital or help him to die yeah help him get out within a month Nichols submitted a request to be euthanized and was killed despite concerns raised by his family and a nurse nurse practitioner his application for euthanasia listed only one health condition as the reason for his request to die hearing loss So the Nichols family reported the case to the police and health authorities, arguing that he lacked the capacity to understand the process and wasn't suffering unbearably um, among the requirements for euthanasia. And they say that he was not taking his needed medication. He wasn't using the cochlear implant that helped him hear and the hospital staffers improperly helped him request for euthanasia. Alan Nichols lost his hearing after brain surgery at um, age 12 and suffered um, a stroke in recent years but he lived mostly on his own and he he said he needed some help from us but he was not so disabled that he qualified for euthanasia so I hear you saying about how strict everything needs to be but how much resource would we put in to really properly regulating a system for assisted dying well and I think unfortunately you know when you talked about the palliative care you know again that is also should be heavily regulated and in some cases it is in some cases it's not Mm. um we've seen issues across the country with maternity services some some hospitals are top-notch others are horrific and mm. I think, unfortunately, the NHS is t- is far too overwhelmed yeah. to take on something like this at the moment. But that doesn't negate the need for it. And I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, we talk you talk about that scenario where it sounds like, you know, he had family around that knew what was going on. You've got to question why the family weren't brought in to to speak you know why ha- why hadn't medical pre- professionals talked to the family because yeah. again i think that should be factored in and you know what like you talk about that whole people feeling pressure um to do it because they don't want to be a burden you know you have obviously got you've got to be mindful of that because there are mm. sometimes from the other side you know we're both nice people and we're like oh no one would be a burden on us you know we just take it it would be fine we wouldn't you know think of it like Mm -hmm. that but other people might be like oh my god I've got to look after so and so oh god it's just such a drain and I can't do this and it's so much money and I don't want to do it oh yeah assisted suicide you know so there has to be there has to be a balance and I think that's it's so difficult because what the bill that they're looking at at the moment I don't think is right no I I don't think it's going to do the right thing for people I think there's too Mm. much room for error and I think oh I don't know I it feels like it feels like it's a real um obviously obviously it's a real gray area because otherwise they would have decided by now wouldn't they that's why we're having this debate but (laughs) I just feel like there's there should be a much more straightforward way of allowing people to choose this 
rather yeah. than 6,000 people a year trying to attempt to take yeah. their own lives and 650 people actually managing it and being in terminal illness and thinking, I'm going to go and take my life, you know, in the woods. Like, mm-hmm. you can't even think about how bad you must be feeling yeah. to do that. And the fact that there's no facilitating, you know, someone needing to actually come forward and say, look, I can't do this anymore. Yeah. I I actually like, do, do you know what France do? What's that? France, uh, euthanasia is not legal. However, they do palliative sedation. Mm. Basically means deeply sedated, being deeply sedated until you die. Yeah. And... Part of me is just like, yeah, great. That sounds spot on. Basically, I've been put in a coma, I'd imagine, until you yeah. die. But you've got to think, again, with something like that, imag- the, the drain on the resources, having mm-hmm. someone in a bed who maybe is terminal for six months in a hospital bed. We don't have enough hospital beds as it is anyway. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying oh, we should bump people off because we don't have enough hospital beds that's absolutely not what I'm saying before anyone jumps on that wagon but if people are properly assessed and I'm talking we've done all the medical side of it but also the legalities of everything as well they've spoken to their lawyer they've talked about it in their will they've done everything they need to because again I spoke to someone else who said I'd want to make the decision that if I lost my faculties that I'd be euthanized and I was like yeah but how do you what do you determine is losing your faculties because you might say to a lawyer right this is what I want at this point in my life and if this happens then I give you know my next of kin the right to take me to Dignitas other clinics are available I'm sure (laughs) um but but, you know you know I, I make light of this because it's something which needs to be talked about people need Mm. to we need to be having the discussions because it feels like there are so many people out there suffering and there are people who are campaigning for this in their Mm. dying years and months you know we saw I can't remember his name and I wish I'd written it down the gentleman that had motor neuron disease yeah and he campaigned and campaigned and campaigned and in the end he died and he died a horrible death and you just think yeah why is it so difficult to allow choice? And I'm, I completely agree. I mean, I know I've been playing devil's oh, advocate. 2%. No, no, yeah, apart from that 2%. <laughs> but I know I've been playing devil's advocate throughout this whole debate, but I completely agree. And knowing that a loved one or even myself could go through a process where I couldn't make it stop mm. is an unbearable thought. You know, being in so much pain every day and you can't make it stop. Mm. And knowing that other people are suffering as well because we cannot make it stop. So I'm I'm with you. There are obviously some uh, religious objections. Um, you know, God gives all life and only God has the right to take it, has the right to take it. So you have got um, spiritual grounds for objecting to assisted dying as well. Um, and then, of course, you've got the whole doctor side, which we touched upon before about doctors having the power um, of euthanizing patients and having, you know, what how do we regulate that? Where does that end? How does that feel for it? Because that goes against the whole Hippocratic Oath. Yeah. So how does that then look? How do we then train the doctors? And so there are whole masses of areas that would need changing, discussing, and would have quite a lot of, as you said, grey area to really mm. try and and clarify and make crystal clear. Yeah. Which I don't I, think you're going to. I think euthanasia is such such a Marmite topic. Yeah. Um and it, it talked about I found um something which um talked about the pros and cons. And it's just yeah. like literally bullet pointing and the cons, um, so it's currently a criminal offence to help to someone take their own life, which you mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, can take uh give you up to 14 years in prison. Um, there's the risk of doctors abusing the power that the legislation comes with, again, that you've mentioned. Uh, vulnerable people being pressured into ending their lives. Um, a slippery slope um, as well. Someone um, suggested that if it was allowed, would the criteria eventually become wider and wider? 
Yeah. And where does it stop? You know, do you get to the point where people who are suicidal um, for mental health reasons, trauma led experiences, where does that stop? And I think that's an interesting one when it comes to involuntary euthanasia. Mm-hmm. So people who are at the moment in a coma or, you know, we did it with with my mum. It was, you know, the machine was pretty much allowing her to breathe. We had a choice. We can keep her on the machine, but she isn't with us or we take her off the machine. And that's kind of a passive, you know, we, we take her off. OK, let yeah. her die, die there and then. Um, and as you said, if that criteria then widens and widens and widens, if you've got someone who, say, has dementia or Alzheimer's, who says, yes, I do want to die, but actually has that degenerative neurological mm-hmm. and, and mental state, does that then become acceptable that you can do in that involuntary yeah. euthanasia mm-hmm. for categories like that? Yes. Yeah, no, I, yeah, again, it's a, it's a grey area most most (laughs) said topic word of this uh this whole chat but I have been you know you talked about what happened with your mum and the you know taking her off the Mm -hmm. machine and I remember being in hospital with someone and they told us that he didn't have long left and they took him off all the medication and you know they said he's you know he will eventually stop breathing and we must have sat in that room with him for maybe four or five hours and he was asleep but every now and then the breathing would become Mm. you know quite labored and you think is this is this going to be Mm. it now and eventually they said you know we're going to uh, we're going to sort the bed out and you know make him a bit more comfortable so they got us all out and when we back went back in He'd actually passed and I believe I truly believe that actually they helped they helped him I think they they put the morphine up and helped him because it was we'd all said our goodbyes he was asleep and it was the most peaceful way for him to go there was no coming back from it and I've spoken to a couple of people who've been in situations where they've said no I was you know in a hospice and I said can you you know, if this is going to be how it happens, mm. can you make sure that it they go as peacefully as possible? And a short while later, they've gone because mm. the morphine has been bumped up. And so yeah. doctors are doing it. Anyway. But it's passive. But it's, it's kind passive. of, it's helping. And death may be a side effect of it, but they are trying to make them comfortable. So you're right. Passive euthanasia is happening to a degree in this country. Mm. But there's a giant step from that to having someone awake, coherent, saying, yeah, give it to me. Yeah. And I I think there was, um, again, I read about it last night and I have not got this guy's name. I think I wrote it down somewhere. Um, Hold on. Let's have a quick look. Um, uh, Lord Field of Birkenhead. So one of the guys from the House of Lords was massively against um euthanasia and assisted dying um but he became terminally ill in 2021 and he changed his mind and he backed it and said no I I want the right to die and I think you know when I was looking at this and looking you know we talked about how we create an argument for and against and I thought my god if this is if this was someone that I loved you know and they had expressed this wish to me, um, you know, in advance, you know, we'd had the conversation, you know, one of the podcasts we did about death, mm-hmm. that sparked so much conversation for people that I knew people were saying, Oh my God, I actually had a conversation about my funeral, you mm-hmm. know, and I actually ended up having a conversation with my mother-in-law and my husband about what music we wanted and what sort of funerals we wanted. And we never would have talked about stuff like that. Yeah. And I think having a conversation about something like this, you know, if I get to the point where I, I'm in a coma, or if I get to the point where I don't have my faculties anymore, I want this to happen. 
you know, mm. discuss it with a lawyer, discuss it with medical professionals, understand what that looks like further down the line. Because if you get to the point where you have Alzheimer's or dementia and you don't know what's going on, but you're horrifically, horrifically ill, you know, where where does that go then? You know, I yeah. think it's it has to be a conversation that we are having now about what people want, because some people yeah. are so against it, but other people are like, no, like Neil, he's very much like, that's what I'd want. Yeah. And I think it's a topic for discussion. Yeah. So let me ask you from just before we close this off. Oh, no, I don't want to I'm having such a good time talking about this. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll revisit this. (laughs) Okay. But from the beginning of the episode to now, Mm -hmm. are you still 100% or have we discussed elements that you now think, ah, actually? I still feel the same um, as I did. Uh, but just with more clarity on the fact that this has to be so carefully regulated. There has to be. And I suppose it's opened my mind up. The discussion has opened my mind up to the fact that we are talking about a health system, which is already buckling Mm. under the pressure of the number of people in this country. You know, we have a health system that's built for so many people and the population is growing massively all the time. Yeah. due to more people having babies and the fact that we have asylum seekers coming to the UK and they need the health system as well. We are, they're under so much pressure that can they really deal with stuff like this? But yeah. then you look at the amount of resources that it takes for people, looking after people that actually want to die. And I'm not saying euthanasia should be the route for everyone who's terminally ill because some people who are terminally ill like katie wonderful katie she is living her best life and Mm -hmm. she she's not she's not there but she's having a great time she knows what's coming in terms of right i know this is what my future holds in terms of um fighting fires with surgeries and things like that but she is that's that's not the route that she's being Mm. offered now Mm. but there are people out there who are like I have got MND for example and I don't want to see it destroy my body to the point where I I can't do anything anymore I want to go on my own terms and people should be allowed to do that but I do want to read out because I had a couple of opinions and I, I bothered people for them so much that um, I just want to um, <laughs> thank them. Um, so Joe, who was on the show last week, who we've had fantastic feedback about, by the way, if you haven't listened to Joe's episode on multiple sclerosis, please check it out because it's such a good episode. Um, a couple of people have said that's one of our best right up there. So. Ooh yeah yeah really good so joe said i've never really thought about euthanasia before and so never really had an opinion either way but now i would say that if i wanted to take that step and had no other option medically to live an independent life it should be something that i'm illegally i'm legally allowed to do provided there are checks and balances and it wasn't something you just decide to do and do it in too short a space of time as long as it's carried out by an expert rather than surreptitiously by someone i knew as this would be problematic on so many levels both morally and legally yeah um and then katie wonderful katie show's number one fan um she said it should be allowed um it's so unfair that people are suffering and you wouldn't do that for a pet it's Mm -hmm. awful that people have to go abroad um to do it when you just want to be in the comfort of your own home when someone is on life support medical teams can make the decision to switch it off so how is this different to making your own decisions yeah i think like we we have sort of skirted around those um opinions and it's interesting to hear because it seems like everyone has an opinion on this don't they yeah it's 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 really interesting interesting. i'd like to talk to a doctor about it i would actually oh should we Mm. see if we can get tom on let's see if we can get tom on yes that would be good i'll contact him we'll do a euthanasia follow-up yeah that would be interesting (laughs) well thank you for that debate i loved it that was good that was good i feel i've got a bit of a headache but i feel refreshed (laughs) Because getting too into it, I was just like, it's the ginger cake, it's the Yorkshire tea, it's the euthanasia debate, who knows? <laughs> we'll be back for more exciting topics. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Um, right, so yes, from us, that's all. But thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this. Um, this has been one of our more lively debates, but yeah. we we 
we're desperate to hear about topics that people want covered and we've we've just been suggested a fantastic one um by uh again katie this morning katie you are getting featured all over the place just come on the katie show you're a legend yeah, you're a you legend are. you are um <laughs> so if you have got something that you think you want discussed debated uh you want to find out more about and we're getting people all the time just messaging in saying do you know what i don't know if i can say this i don't know if i can ask about this can you talk about it yes mm. yes we can because it's our job to try and inform educate and spread the word so yes if you want to see or hear something talked about get in touch and let us know and if you do like what you've heard you can check out the support us page on our website and buy us a coffee although tea. I, don't, I don't want more coffee uh, at the moment no not if you've got a headache maybe yeah. a, a nice iced water with a nurofen on the side yeah. possibly we'll see um, <laughs> so on valentine's day it's goodbye from me and it's good night from her <laughs> Um, and we will see you again very very soon thanks ever so much everyone thanks guys bye